thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audrey Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. We've got a bit of a hot topic today as we're going to be talking about that magical R word, which of course stands for rosters. Now, rosters is one of the most common questions that I get asked about as in, you know, which roster is best to help alleviate fatigue. Uh, But I have to say, I'm by no means an expert in this area of rosters. In fact, I have been searching uh, for someone in this field uh, of shift work rosters for probably two years now, um, since first launching this podcast, but have been unable to find someone that really fits the bill uh, until now. So I'm really excited to welcome onto the podcast Professor Drew Dawson, who is based down in Adelaide in South Australia, to talk all things to do with rosters and workplace fatigue. Professor Drew Dawson is the director of the Appleton Institute at Central Queensland University and has spent the last 20 years studying the effects of shift work and fatigue in particular on the impacts of accidents and injuries. So to talk more about rosters and workplace fatigue, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Drew. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Drew. Thanks so much for um, for joining me today. Now, I first stumbled across you a couple of months ago now uh, when I um, saw you being interviewed as part of Safe Work Australia's virtual seminar series, which I have to say was just fascinating stuff. But uh, let's get straight to the point because you mentioned in that series that 20 to 30 years ago in Australia, there was really only half a dozen rosters that were being worked around the country. And now there are literally thousands of rosters. Like what's happened to initiate this change? Um, Most of the changes have come through changes in the industrial relations landscape. Um, The shift back in the late 80s towards enterprise bargaining agreements meant that labour contracts were negotiated between the company and the employees and then registered with the um, Industrial Relations Commission or its subsequent iterations, Fair Work Australia. And in the past, basically, the union's representatives and the employer representatives would get together and come up with a roster and everybody agreed that should be it. Now, because it happens at the individual level and businesses change and adapt, we've seen a proliferation of various different rosters. There are still broad categories that are similar, but it yeah. there are thousands, literally, of different roster schedules now registered with Fair Work Australia. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, you also kind of mentioned that you're, you're seeing people who are designing and approving rosters, you know, with no expertise or knowledge about it, which is having, you know, negative effects on the health and well-being of workers. And I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners are going to really be able to relate to that of being at the tail end of a poor roster I mean I mean myself um, included but you know why are we seeing this in so many workplaces well because it's being now developed at the local level uh, somebody has to develop that roster and in many cases it will be somebody in HR or the supervisor Mm. Um, in nursing for example it's the responsibility of the clinical nurse consultant who is operating that particular unit and very few of those people have any training and their overwhelming 
drive is to get the right bums on the right seats with the right skills mm. and there are often cost pressures to do it with fewer and fewer people and as a result of that, I think it's well-intentioned, but it's often ill-informed. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, with a well-intentioned and, and and so forth. I guess the good thing about it is a lot of these people at least have worked in that work environment before, so they have a good understanding of the operation side of things, but, yeah, maybe not so much about... Um, well, that's... That's not always the case. Okay. So, for example, you yeah. might find, for example, the mining industry, often the most junior engineer person who's come in will be given that job of optimising the roster or something like that. Mm. And as a consequence, it doesn't always mean that they've had experience. Uh, we recommend to most organisations, whoever designs the roster has to work it. <laughs> and as a once they um, have some self-regulatory yeah. behaviours there. That is, if you don't actually have to work the roster you're designing, you're less likely to care. If you do have to work mm. it, that being said, often people will design rosters that they want to work or they like and that suit them without necessarily understanding that what suits a 25-year-old single bloke <laughs> may not suit a you know, 45-year-old single mum with three kids. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, very valid point, De definitely. And I guess we, you know, at the end of the day, we're also, besides our own personal circumstances, like we're all very different. As in, like we have, each of us have, you know, different chronotypes. That's whether we're an early person or a late person. And you know, I guess this is going to make it harder for designing a roster that suits everyone. Well, if you want to design a roster that suits everybody, you should involve lots of people in the discussion. And even in some workplaces where you see people following the normal consultative principles, just being on the roster committee is something that's often difficult for minority groups within a workplace. So, for example, for women with parenting responsibilities, from people from different ethnic backgrounds, often the shift work roster committee is very white, male, and old. <laughs> and as a result, they, they will promote rosters that suit their view of the world. Mm. And that's not always necessarily an appropriate roster. Mm. I mean, for example, one of the big issues, one of the big issues we're seeing at the moment with the increasing number of people from Muslim backgrounds is when Ramadan happens. Yep. And yes, so people who are from a Muslim faith can't eat between sunrise and sunset. If you work in a 12-hour shift and hydration is an issue or food and those kind of things, that can be a very challenging difference. The average old fat white bloke probably wouldn't think about the implications of Ramadan for designing a shift system. So it's really critical that when you are designing shift systems that you make sure that all of the stakeholder groups and all of the different minority groups within the workplace have some input into that decision. Mm. And over the last few years, there's been a shift, particularly as a view of equal opportunity stuff. In the past, equity in Australia meant everybody worked the same shift. Yep. Nowadays, we're becoming a little bit more sophisticated and that notion of simple equity, i.e. where everybody works the same shift, is being changed. Um, Shifted, has shifted a bit towards the notion of complex equity, which is where everybody gets equal amounts of what they want. And the most obvious way you see this is a lot of rosters will design 
compulsory overtime into them. So you might have a 12-hour shift that involves a 37-hour week, but the shift is 42 hours, so there's five hours of compulsory overtime. The difficulty with that is is that there's usually some people who don't want to work overtime. Yeah. There's usually some people who'd like to work a lot more overtime. Yeah. By making everybody work, you know, five, six hours, you end up pissing everybody off. Mm. Yeah. So, what's so a good- lot of places are starting to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So what what's kind of a good solution to that then, uh, Drew? Well, it's mainly about making sure that you listen to what the staff want, mm. and we will often say to management teams: is provided you get the right seats on the right. Sorry, as long as you get the right skills and the right people on the right seats at the right time, do you really care what roster they work? And assuming that it's relatively cost neutral, most managers want to design the roster because they think that's their job. Mm. Our experience has been is that employees, um, if they work as a representative group and talk to all of the different groups within the workforce, can often design quite good rosters in collaboration with management. Mm. They also own them then. Yeah. They're much happier to do it. But you know, it, it's also the case that when, when you work with a workforce changing roster, the people who most resist the roster change are usually the ones who defend it most strongly once you go to try and change it again. And partly that's because people build their lives around roster. So there's, yeah. you know, their recreational activities, childcare and all of those things are heavily impacted by roster. And sometimes management don't think about those aspects of the impact on the roster outside of the workplace mm. as part of the change management process. Mm, yeah, yeah, very, very good point. That's at the end of the day, that's kind of what we all kind of want to strive for, isn't it? A little bit more of a better lifestyle. Uh, work certainly funds what, what we want to do. Um, but the lifestyle is, is yeah, what, what kind of makes us all happy. But in your research over the years, uh, Drew, I mean, this might be a difficult question too to answer, but have you come across a particular roster that kind of works well in combat, in combating fatigue as in that forward rotation or that backward rotation, the amount of days off, that kind of thing? Well, this is probably going to be a bit controversial, but <laughs> my argument is that if you work nights, you're always going to be fatigued. Yeah. And if you think that there's a roster that can prevent fatigue, there is one, and it's working Monday to Friday <laughs> between 10 and 12 back in the morning. Right. And that way you probably won't get fatigued, but that's not going to cut it. That's a great roster. I think people... <laughs> Yeah, and for two hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, so, but a lot of people think there's going to be there's going to be this magic roster that will mm. enable us to not be fatigued. Mm. And if you work nights, you you will be fatigued at four o'clock in the morning, even if you've had eight hours sleep the day before. Mm. So it, it, part of it is is getting people to understand that fatigue is an inevitable consequence of shift work, mm. and you have to learn to manage it. You can't eliminate it. And if I had a dollar for everybody who's promised me a roster that's going to be great for fatigue, I'd be a very rich man now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the reality is most people choose a roster for financial or social reasons, not because it manages fatigue well, because it doesn't. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I guess my biggest bugbearer, I suppose, for a better word, is that when I hear some of my clients, you know, having to work these back-to-back tight turnaround rosters, which is, you know, blatantly obvious that re- recovering fatigue from fatigue is going to be, you know, next to impossible. And I know, like, in my personal circumstances, we had a, a minimum turnaround of 10 hours between shifts. But some of my clients, you know, have eight hours, which, you know, is is clearly not going to be enough given, you know, supposedly we're meant to be getting a ship from sleep perspective somewhere between that optimal seven to nine hours sleep. So an eight-hour turnaround, it's just not kind of going to going to cut it. <laughs> well, but it depends. I mean, it, you can't be that definitive. So, for example, if you said I had a break between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. and I had to try and sleep during the day, I would agree with you. But if I had a break between 11 and 7, then I could probably get five or six hours sleep. And while the long-term, you know, desirability of sleep for seven to nine hours is fine, it's very difficult to prove until sleep goes below five hours in the prior 24 and a long-term average of six that there is significant impairment in most Mm. individuals. There's some on minor, very sensitive tasks, but most people can operate machinery, drive. I mean, they may not have a vibrant sex life and they may not be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but six hours, most people can function safely in workplaces. Um, Not everybody and not on every task, but it is important to understand that Organisations and regulators are very attracted by simple rules. But as H.L. Mencken famously said, for every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's usually wrong. Yeah, I guess though too that I mean, the, given there's now like there's, there's an overwhelming amount of research, you know, highlighting some of the the detrim, detrimental effects of ongoing sleep deprivation and, and circadian desynchronisation. And I have seen plenty of this, you know, in in my patients. I mean, things like thyroid problems, adrenal fatigue, blood glucose dysregulation, obesity, you know, and worse still, you know, insomnia when they're already running on sleep. I mean. I, and I, and you know, everything's not down to one thing, of course. You know, it's very multifactorial how people kind of develop these kind of chronic conditions. But I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit more wanting to kind of know, I mean, what is it going to kind of take before shift working organisations are starting to kind of be made more accountable in regards to putting the health and well-being of their staff first before profits? Well, but that's never going to happen <laughs> because the community expectations are such. That is, mm. no, people aren't prepared to pay the taxes in order to provide the staff to do that. So we can talk. I mean, you know, it's great. I go to conferences and the recommendations come out from the shift work experts, which is don't work night work if yeah. it's avoidable. <laughs> Yeah. The problem is if you work in an ambulance or fire or healthcare services or any mining and manufacturing, that debate had finished. In fact, the debate finished 250 years ago. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's the fundamental problem. It's about how to work safely whilst fatigued is the question we should be asking ourselves. Mm. You've also got to be really careful about concluding that shift work produces all of the healthcare problems that you listed there. There is no doubt on the epidemiological data that shift workers are at higher risk for many of those conditions. But what we don't know yet 
is, is it the shift work per se that's the cause of those problems, or is it the poor coping strategies that many shift workers adopt that cause them? And while it might be what's the difference, it still produces the same consequence, it's not actually, because if it turns out that the reason that you have glucose dysregulation is because shift workers eat worse food because of their need for um, food in a hurry or they don't have time to prepare it or they're eating out of times when their family eats, it, it, it could be the case. And there is strong evidence to suggest that many of the problems that shift workers have are associated with their lifestyle coping behaviours for shift work and that if you can actually get people to not necessarily drink as much, not necessarily smoke as much, not necessarily use as much caffeine as they currently do, that you can significantly reduce or in some cases even eliminate many of the healthcare issues associated with shift work. So the idea is we've got to stop shift work or that there's going to be some roster that doesn't produce the problem or we have to make employers accountable is a bit of a not really thinking about it the right way because employers are accountable. Workplace health and safety regulations clearly articulate a duty of care for employers and employees around shift work. The issue is, is that many employees and many employers don't care enough to actually enforce their legal responsibilities. Mm. Oh, I agree with you a thousand percent there, Drew. I mean, it, it's definitely a dual responsibility. It's not just the shift working organisation. It's not up to the, you know, the organisation and it's not up to the individual. It's definitely a, a dual um, responsibility. Uh, and I've just seen that, yeah, in, in my own experience is that, yeah, there's definitely some really good shift working organisations out there that, that definitely put their, their uh, uh, staff members first. And then there's others that, you know, maybe they there's room for improvement. And, and likewise with the employee itself. There's some people out there that, that handle shift work and they do a really good job, um, you know, with what they're against versus some others that, um, yeah, struggle with it more. And as you said, um, it's uh, a lot of our behaviours is a lot of the driving force behind it because association does not mean causation. So I'm by no means saying that, yes, all shift workers, is gonna, you're going to get this uh, condition, which is... Yeah, totally wrong. But there is definitely this association with sleep deprivation being a big driver behind. It changes our behaviour. It makes us less. It makes us more tired, so we're less likely to do exercise. We're less likely to eat well, and so forth. And yeah, I agree with you one thousand percent. It's all about getting a little bit more of an education out there, so that everyone is able to kind of at least make better decisions if they, you know, um, at least if they have that more knowledge about what's potentially can happen with biochemically with their body with 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 um yeah with what happens when we we kind of run on that less sleep but you i know that you do a lot of investigation obviously in regards to accidents and injuries in the work um place and i you know obviously sleep dri- deprivation is a real driver behind a lot of these accidents um that we see when or don't even hear yeah. about uh yeah there's no doubt that fatigue has been a cause of a lot of accidents particularly driving related accidents mm. But again, going back to your thing is we talk about sleep deprivation associated with shift work. Yes, it is the case that people who work shift work sleep a little bit less. And when we put people into the lab and sleep deprive them, that has effects on their glucose regulation. It may increase, you know, it may be, it costs them 20 calories a day. 
So, for example, somebody says, well, I'm going to sacrifice an hour of sleep, but I'm going to walk an extra 15 minutes. A lot of the negative effects of the sleep loss can be offset. And I guess my point would be is that there's swings and roundabouts. That is, there are benefits to working shift work for some people. Yeah. And there are costs. And the, the, the goal should be to maximise the benefits and minimise the costs. And there's a lot that we can do there in mm. that area. Mm. My concern is, is that instead of taking a harm minimization strategy as we do for many other risks in the workplace what we tend to do is to have somewhat sterile arguments about which roster we should or shouldn't work and this roster will make all the difference so the way i like to explain it to people is to say shift work is like rat poison it will all negatively impact on your health but arguing over which brand of rat poison you're going to eat <laughs> is not particularly useful for sort of reducing the impact of rat poison. That is, all of the brands will kill you, and every roster is just a different brand of rat poison. <laughs> mm, yeah. I thought it was interesting too uh, how you mentioned before about it's important that employers kind of really acknowledge that that fatigue is a problem as, as you said you know particularly if you're doing a night shift you're always going to face fatigue in some way because you're going against your natural circadian rhythms but that you mentioned um that yeah we, we just need to acknowledge that fatigue is there it's always going to be there and i just thought that was a really kind of profound comment um because I know that uh, I've got a couple of clients that have told me that actually saying the word I'm fatigued in their workplace is is really forbidden. <laughs> like you're not allowed to say it. Well, yes, I think, and we talk a lot about fatigue being what we call a forbidden narrative within organisations. Mm. And probably the most important thing an organisation can do to manage fatigue well is to say it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. the reason people don't talk about it is because they don't feel that there's anything they can do to manage it because they go, well, I'm going to have to send them home. And the business is not going to work. And, you know, it can be in a situation of a team where you can say, well, sending somebody home and having the team have to operate on five instead of six or seven people carries risks with it as well. Mm. Or if, you know, we, a lot of supervisors will say to us, I don't want to have that conversation with an employee because they'll start talking about stuff at home or emotions and I'm not interested in that. So you've got to be very clear and we would often say with organizations is don't tell somebody you're fatigued tell somebody you haven't had sufficient sleep to work safely and mm. i know it's just different words but when a supervisor hears i haven't had sufficient sleep to work safely that kind of sounds serious yeah whereas i'm fatigued sounds you know almost as if you're weak mm. or can't cope or can't also is is yeah. with a lot of organizations we work with there isn't the option to not work when you're fatigued so for example you don't stop fighting a bushfire because you <laughs> run out of hours you don't not drive the ambulance or operate on a patient or those kind of things you have to do it but what we do know is you can change the way you do things so you're less likely to have an accident or make a mistake when yeah. you are fatigued what we call fatigue proof mm. Yeah, well, that's yeah. That definitely sounds like a, um, a very logical kind of strategy uh, to to take. That's for sure. Um, 
could you um, actually? I did want to mention on that WorkSafe um, uh, website um, that you were on. There was a gentleman um, there that was talking about a steel a steel mill in Austria that reduced the working hours um, to help retain employees, and they actually found that there are a lot of benefits from that. Do you know much about that study? Um, well, in fact, Sweden last month has now declared that they will have a six-hour day, and there is wow. a lot of work that shows wow. that people that people will produce as much output in eight hours as they, in six hours as they will in eight in times of types of jobs which are what we call self-paced. That is where you control the rate of the workflow output, but there aren't necessarily many jobs like that. Mm. So, for example, yeah. if you're tending a machine at a factory, the machine needs somebody tending it, and these are what we call externally paced jobs. So, yes, you can reduce working hours, but for those kind of situations where humans are tending machines, which is a lot of industry, mm. those machines have to go 24 hours a day because either the cost of starting them up or stopping them or the loss of productivity for them not running means somebody has to be there 24 hours a day. Healthcare is exactly the same. Mm. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I guess it's it, it's just kind of it proves that um, by not kind of putting everything and every organisation into that one kind of box, isn't it? It's about kind of looking at the, yeah, what is the actual um, role of that organisation, what's required and, and um, you know, kind of looking outside the box a little bit. But um, I thought it was, yeah, quite quite interesting. So I guess can you provide, you know, any recommendations um, for, or tips for our listeners then, Drew, on what they can sort of personally do from their end to kind of help reduce some of the fatigue that they may be experiencing in the workplace given, you know, the hours that they work? Well, I think there's a couple of things you could do. The first is, you know, you've got to use your time away from work to get as much sleep as is reasonably practical. Mm. Now, I'm assuming that the organisation's giving you enough time, but also one of the things is shift workers can be really hard because you can go home and your partner can say, oh, look, I, I want to go to this barbecue or this dinner party <laughs> or something, so um, why don't you try and get a bit of sleep later or earlier? Uh, or you can just not sleep that. And and lots of people feel social pressures from family and community to go without sleep. Mm. One of the things is getting families to understand that it seems like a good thing and you really do want to go to that party, but you also want your partner to come home alive. Mm. So getting people to understand how important sleep is and the risks that come with not necessarily sleeping and you know, it's also for employees, inevitably you will be at work fatigued. If we look at the data, about half the time somebody's fatigued in the workplace, it's due to what we would politely refer to as non-work-related causes. Mm -hmm. So again, part of the issue is having a culture where on those few occasions where people do turn up for work unfit for work, they can actually put their hand up and somebody says, yep, okay, here's how we're going to manage it today, and it's no big deal. Yeah. But at the moment, you know, everybody yeah. goes, oh, don't mention the F word because that's really going to cost us 10% of the next EBA, <coughs> or it's secret code for overtime reduction strategy. And there are lots of industries where people's income growth in the last 20 years has come predominantly through working longer with fewer people around. Oh, yeah. 
it's so true. Yeah, the and the workloads, um, yeah, definitely got higher and so forth. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, before I wrap up, yeah. and I'm I'm kind of glad that you that you mentioned that about the family um, part because I just wanted to kind of let you know, Drew, that I actually put a quote up on my Facebook page that you said <laughs> at the seminar um, and, it, that, and, it, and it was that being it takes a family to support a shift worker. Now, I really wanted to share that quote because I personally always felt that uh, when you sign up to work shift work, you're essentially signing your family up to work shift work too, which is a pretty big ask as you kind of touched on it just before, you know, about trying to kind of fit into the the normal way of living but you know that quote that you said it takes a family to support a shift worker was extremely popular it gained well over 500 likes over 100 comments and 465 shares so what is your take on why and I know you did just sort of touch on a little bit before but what is it you on your take on why it really does take a family or a village I guess is is a term we we often hear more of to support a shift worker well, because for a shift worker to get a good night's sleep or a good day's sleep, as the case may be, means that the family have to do it. And the, the difference is for a day worker, you sleep at the same time as your family, so there's no competition between social activities and sleep. Once you're a shift worker, you, you, you need to sleep at the time other people are socialising and it creates a tension. Yeah. Um, but really smart companies these days are interviewing people and including the partners at least and sometimes the families as part of the interview process so that the people understand what the job entails and what sacrifices that will mean. Because unfortunately, the guys will go home after the interview and say $150,000 a year and not talk about the fact that it's shift work or the long hours or it's fly in, fly out. They're just focused Mm. on the money. We find that while you may need to interview a few more people, the people you get, if the family is interviewed and trained and educated, Mm. the staff you do get will will stay longer and suffer less as a result of the shift work. But, uh, again, it's about understanding that shift work impacts on a family and a community much more than Monday to Friday day work because it sets up a competition between sleep and recovery and social life. Mm. Wow, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And that's really, really quite clever because, yeah, the both both parties yeah. are getting a, a um, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, I suppose, hearing firsthand of what's, what is going to be involved and perhaps gives, are they also giving the opportunity for the wife to ask questions during the interview as well? Is that what they're doing? Oh, yes. And yes, and I just did a series of workshops up in Queensland where, the wives and families were invited in for a training and education session around shift work. And um, as one of the WHS managers said to me, he said, if I can get the partners on board, and it was primarily women, he said, I've got an audit and compliance system you can only dream of for any other hazard. That is, is once the women understand in particular, Mm. and it's about the risks to their asset base and their lifestyles as much as it is to the health and safety of their partners. And we spent a lot of time talking about the guys about the difference between weekly earnings and lifetime earnings. And you don't earn a lot when you're dead or injured. Mm. So it's part of trying to take that long-term perspective and be there for a 40-year occupation rather than 
earning a lot in a couple of weeks and then getting injured and hurt. Mm. Gee, I that's yeah, that's amazing. I just think that's yeah, that's a really good uh, solution, <laughs> you know, strategy to kind of take on board. So you're up in in Queensland. Gosh, where where was that? I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> I'm in Brisbane. No, uh, well, we, we we did them in Mackay. Okay, um, and it was for one of the mining companies up there. But yeah. as part of their duty of care obligations in terms of training and education, we merely suggested, look, you're going to train the guys. Why don't we run a couple of sessions in town over coffee where people can come in and ask questions and chat about what it is the family needs to do to manage it as well as the worker. Mm. Gee, well, that's brilliant. I, I hope you kind of get to sort of do more uh, of those sorts of things because I'm very, very big on uh, education um, and prevention because, yeah, if we if we don't know what we don't know, we can't fix it. But if at least we do know something, then we, we're at least better armed. What we do with, the, with that information is, and what we take from there is up to us, but at least it, it gives us a few more tools to kind of work with. But um yeah, well, look, this has been really informative, Drew. It's it's certainly refreshing to kind of speak to someone who's really quite passionate about shift work and on that kind of similar uh, path of kind of creating that awareness on some of the struggles faced um, by shift workers. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, if any of our listeners uh, were wanting to learn more about your work, uh, your research and what you do, is there a site that um, we can um, point them to to get more information? Look, there are literally hundreds of sites. So if you <laughs> Google or Firefox or Shift Work or Shift Work Education and Training, you'll have no trouble finding lots and lots and lots of stuff about it. There is also, you know, the, the usual places. So you can go to the workplace health and safety websites, et cetera, et cetera. And it's do, all you, fine. do you have a site as well? Like, um, Drew, yourself, do you have a, a website? Where you or not really? No, usually we contribute. No, we, oh, we contribute okay. to other websites. Gotcha. Uh, uh, the, the world needs another shift work training and education website like a hole in the head. <laughs> so what we do is try to contribute to the pre-existing ones gotcha. and limit the amount of shopping people have to do. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, look, as I said, um, this has been really, um, really great to talk to you, Drew, um, and I'm finally, I'm so glad that we finally managed to kind of catch up, and I know that you're about to jump on a plane shortly, so, yep. uh, yeah, so thank you so much for, yep. um, for scheduling a time to chat. My pleasure. Well, that's it uh, for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback, and there are many ways you can do this via my Facebook page, The Healthy Shift Worker, through my website, healthyshiftworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit benefit as this will help me to spread the healthy shift worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world if you'd like access to more free resources including my newsletter just visit my website healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address thanks so much for tuning in and listening until next time may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24 7 this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.